0: welcome to this week's yes group spotlight which features a recording of a meeting that was hosted by yes glasgow northwest on wednesday the 6th of january 2021 and indielive.radio would like to thank yes glasgow northwest for allowing us to share it with you and also to the two speakers the main speakers of the meeting who were charlotte ahmed and chris hanlon um charlotte ahmed is a member of Yes Glasgow Northwest, and she was recently elected to the National Committee of a New Membership Organisation set up after an all-under one banner um, assembly, and that was set up with the aim of broadening the Yes campaign. Charlotte is recently retired after a career in secondary teaching, teaching a uh, science, and she describes herself as a socialist, she is an anti-racist. And independence campaigner and she was also very active in the EIS. She will be the first speaker that you hear. Also you will hear from Chris Hanlon who was recently elected as the new policy development convener of the SNP nationally, replacing Alan Smith Chris is a member of the SNP Wheel Group, the trade union, SNP Trade Union Group and also the Federation of Student Nationalists. He has a particular interest in currency among other things and has worked with Andy Anderson and Tim Rideout in the Currency Group and Modern Money Scotland. So you'll hear from those two speakers. Charlotte will be speaking first and then a QA. and and the meeting is chaired by myself, Valerie Gold. Thank you. I hope you enjoy the recording.
1: Happy New Year to you all. I hope you and yours are keeping well and safe, and you've had a as good a holiday as you can have under the circumstances. But I'm sure, like me, we're all raring to go in this new year, hopefully, a year of independence. And I want to thank the indefatigable Glasgow Northwest Yes Group for setting up this meeting. And uh, all the frustrations that we've had because of COVID, I know we're gonna, we've already been chatting about this. How do we get independence? What are our strategies and tactics for the new campaign? And what I would like to do today or tonight, as far as I can, is set up some reasons why uh, some people got together to form yet another independence organization which we are actually very excited about. It hasn't actually been officially launched yet, so much of what I'm going to say about it is, if you like, aspirational. But I just want to put it in a little context. As you know, that last year before COVID, it seems a long, long time ago, we had a fantastic movement that was developed since 2014 when we lost the last referendum when the, um, if you like, the demoralisation of yet another Tory government, the uh, SNP becoming, if you like, a a minority government in the Scottish Parliament, things weren't looking too good. Then COVID comes along, and despite all the huge demonstrations that All Under One Banner organised, the biggest in Edinburgh, we were all there, you know, a beautiful sunny day in Edinburgh, over 200,000 people, we still don't feel we're anywhere near achieving independence. And if you th- think about what people have endured over the past year or so, COVID itself has highlighted things that were already, I think, a real, real material uh, situation for many people, increased austerity, un- uncertainty about the future, Uh, A fairly right-wing Tory government getting a huge majority in Westminster. The prospects for economy was not good. We had Brexit looming. Brexit is now here. And so with the impact of COVID, I think that the independence movement has to renew itself and reinvigorate itself this year. And part of the reason why this new membership organisation is in the throes of being set up is because some of us felt that the existing independence movement with all its various participants and groups really had to reach out further to new audiences in order to make sure that all the experiences that people have had since the last referendum were brought to bear into this movement so that we can convince more people and more layers of society in Scotland That actually independence can be a route to alleviating the poverty, reinvigorating the economy, to um, achieving changes, to stop climate change, to have hands across supporting other groups internationally and to basically recreate a society, the society that we want, not the society that is being foisted on us by yet another Tory government that we didn't. Vote for. And I think that if we do reach out to wider sections of society, we will reinvigorate the independence movement and we will push it forward to victory. Now, the other reason why we set up this organisation is that there is, as you know, because you've been part of the discussion online for some time, a frustration about the strategy that is being laid out by the existing SNP government, who still are. Um, Although I'm not a member of the SNP, the SNP is still the leader, the leading organisation of the independence movement. And yet beyond the SNP getting a majority in May in the elections, assuming they do go ahead, and beyond a commitment from Nicola Sturgeon that accepting that there has what she called a real material change in people's circumstances, which I think Brexit creates, COVID certainly creates, Beyond uh, uh, an application for a Section 30 for the Westminster government to grant us, in their graciousness, the chance for another referendum, there is no other strategy. Indeed, uh, the frustrations that came out in the Assembly that created this new organisation was that there had been no opportunity within the SNP to discuss it, never mind, you know, talk openly about strategy. So that was one of the motivations for, for creating this organization. So the aim of this organization is to be a mass membership organization. It's one member, one vote. It's membership. It's going to be membership-led. Um, we're launching on the 16th of January. I can't, because we haven't launched, say much more about it except to say that the national committee of 15 people have been meeting regularly since we were elected. and we are um, certain that we're going to be ready to launch on the 16th and we welcome anybody, anybody who wants to be part of a membership led organization. We want it to be democratic and transparent. It's non-party political, and it is committed to independence for Scotland, but an urgency about that. Um, My own opinion is if we don't make significant movement towards achieving independence this year, people whose patience is not infinite will begin to lose a bit of hope. Because firstly, assuming the SNP is in government with a majority, which is certainly predicted in uh, May, uh, people may not be convinced that they're serious enough about taking on the British state. And I think that's what we're going to have to do. We already see that the unionists are mobilizing already because they see the dangers. They have um, achieved Brexit to some extent, what impact that has, we don't quite know yet, but already they're wheeling out the Gordon Browns, the Tony Blairs. There was an article in the Telegraph, the Daily, I sometimes read these papers to know what the enemy is thinking. The Telegraph had an article whose heading was Boris better beware, something like this, I'm paraphrasing, he doesn't want to be known as the prime minister that lost the union. So the Tories themselves are aware of the threat that's posed, not just north of the border, but as you can see with Brexit, people of Northern Ireland have a special status now, and the border in the, between Ireland and Northern Ireland is not the same as the border between us in France, for example. The people of Gibraltar have been given special status within this Brexit deal. So there's all sorts of arguments about why can Scotland be not granted this as we did not vote for Brexit, whatever your opinions of Brexit is. So all these things throw up real serious arguments about strategy and tactics of the movement. And we're certainly hoping that our new organisation, when it's launched and when it becomes a membership organization will help to lead and shape that. Because I personally, and I'm not speaking for the organization in this saying this, I believe that we will need to find ways of, of putting more pressure on the SNP government to move, to move towards more pressure on the British state I simply do not see how the Tory government, as they are currently configured, are going to grant us anything we want. Therefore, what do you do? So that is the question facing this movement. In COVID, we cannot take to the streets in mass numbers, unfortunately. Um, I'm sure that we will be ready to do so when we can and it's safe to do so. We're now using these Zoom meetings and I'm sure there'll be lots and lots of meetings like this in the next few weeks, but we really want to be thinking about organising wider layers of people in this cause whose time has come. So thank you for listening to me. Thank you for inviting me. It's all about movement, moving the people in support of our democratic right for independence. How can we do that in the face of an intransigent, government that is not going to grant us it, and an SNP leadership which frankly does not seem to want to do anything other than follow this legalistic constitutional route, which simply the Tories will not grant. I'll leave it there, and I look forward to the question and answer discussion.
0: Thanks very much, Charlotte. There's a lot of food for thought there. By the way, I think I left out one of the most important things when I was introducing you, that you are also a member of Yes, Glasgow Northwest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which we're very happy to to uh, announce. So um, straight uh, straight on, we've got a few people agreeing you with uh, with you there in the chat, uh, Charlotte, and I'm sure some people will maybe disagree and might have questions yeah. for you later. Absolutely, that's what we're hoping for is a lively debate. As Mrs Merton might say, and uh, <laughs> without any further ado, let's go straight on to hearing from Chris Hanlon, who's the SNP Policy Development Convener. Over to you, Chris. Thank you.
2: Well, I hope I can be at least as interesting as Charlotte. Um, so who am I? What am I here to say? Um, so I joined the SNP in the wake of the referendum it was 19th of September was pretty much the most horrendous day I can ever remember. And I vowed on that day never again. I was never because I didn't, I wasn't political, I didn't get involved, I didn't campaign. I watched from the sidelines and I remember getting more and more frustrated with the, some of the rubbish the SNP were talking and the mistakes they were making. And you know, when it finally all unraveled, and we came so close, <laughs> we came so close, and we had that one. Wonderful, beautiful day of independence where we were in charge, the sovereign people of Scotland were actually in charge of their own destiny for that one day it was amazing, absolutely incredible. And the next day was just such a crushing disappointment. I was like, no, that's not happening again. Never ever ever. I'll you know be dead in the ditch if we have another crack at this, and I have not put absolutely everything on the line to to win independence. So I joined the party and I, I got involved and I've ended up doing what I'm doing, being where I am now, because I found myself just intensely frustrated with a complete inability to, to have any influence over policy decisions in the party. You know, one of the things that frustrated me was the sort of obvious own goals that the White Paper had been full of in 2014. And, you know, so... When I joined the party, I got involved with the branch and I started, you know, making suggestions and sending in resolutions. And we submitted those resolutions and they went up the chain to some faceless group of bureaucrats called SWAC, which stood for something or other. And you never heard of it again. And then they published a conference agenda that was full of backslapping and, oh, aren't we great? And, oh, isn't Westminster terrible? And, oh, we absolutely insist that Westminster do this thing that, we're, that they're never going to do. or, you know, we're going to pass these resolutions that that it's just that we do the things we're already doing for no apparent reason. And that got a bit annoying. And I suppose there's two ways you can go there. I think a lot of people, they get frustrated and they quit. You know, they, they kick up and they're like, oh, I've had enough of this, I'm quitting. And a few people said to me, well, if you don't like it, do something about it. If you don't like what comes out of this standing orders and agenda committee... Why don't you run to join the Standing Orders and Agenda Committee? So I did. two, three times before I successfully got elected. And I spent a couple of years getting up on stage and being annoying at conference and sending in remits back and complaining that this wasn't good enough and that wasn't good enough. And eventually, for no particularly obvious reasons, people started electing me to these things. So I became a member of the National Council, then I became a member of the Standing Orders and Agenda Committee, and then the conference committee after that. Um, and, you know, gradually over time, we started to be able to change things. Slowly, little dribs and drabs here and there, things started to change. We changed the party's constitution. There were a lot of big changes in that. Some of them were good, some of them not so good. We formed this policy development committee, whose job it is to facilitate members actually developing policy and bringing it forward and submitting it and having it actually go on to conference agendas and get presented to conference delegates and hopefully pass. And I got elected onto that and nothing happened for a year and a half. And I was a bit frustrated and annoyed with that. So I stood to replace Alan Smith as the convener of that committee. And in a weird chain of uh, events, somehow the conference delegates decided I was a better fit for the job than Alan was. So here we are. so since getting elected to that role, we've kind of cracked on. You know, we have a big year, ahead of, big year ahead of us. We have an election coming up. That election is critical in achieving what we all want to achieve. We want to see a referendum. We want to win that referendum and we want to become independent. And there's a number of obstacles to that. You know, there's a massive pandemic raging around the world at the minute, which is not a huge help. And there's Boris Johnson and his band of merry men in Westminster, who are frankly a bit of a distraction in my opinion. And, you know, there's us tearing chunks of each other as well, which isn't hugely helpful either. So I've I spent a lot of time trying to get people to work together. Um, you know, one of the things that happened over the last couple of years was the Growth Commission report. I'm sure many of you have read the Growth Commission report and been as frustrated as if everybody else was with it. And, you know, I was involved with Andy Anderson, with the, the folk that were starting to form, form Money, Modern Money Scotland, which includes Tim Rideout, Garen van Sweden, um Cameron Archibald, a whole bunch of other people who also went on to form um, the S&P Real Group. And I sat down with a bunch of them. Actually, it would be a year ago, round about today, was it a year No, two, maybe two years, two years ago, around about this week. So um, we all got together. Um, I represented Morning Money Scotland. There was Andy Anderson's group. There was Commonweal. Robin and Craig were there, and um, me and Robin had a a knockdown dragout drag argument for about two and a half hours. And eventually he said to me, well, you're already on this conference committee. Why don't you do something about it? It's up to you. Go on. (laughs) So we did. We did. Got together. We got all those currency groups together, and we got them to agree common principles. Things that they did agree on. You know, they maybe had a few things that they disagreed on, but in general, they agreed on a few things. And they agreed that the sterlingisation plan that was in the growth commission report was all rubbish. And so we fought it as best we could, and we succeeded, I think, to some extent, to the most important extent. I think that you know, sterlingisation isn't going to be absolutely our future. So, you know, since getting started as policy development community, we've identified the big issues that we have. We are setting up expert working groups to gather evidence and actually develop policies and strategies to address those issues. Currency is the obvious one, you know, whenever you ask people what was the biggest issue in in the referendum in 2014, the first thing they say is currency. I think we've pretty much knocked that on the head now. It's mostly a messaging issue. And getting Andrew... Wilson is sharp but there's other issues there's pensions there's mortgages there's all sorts of things that are actually big issues and we really haven't really addressed them over the last six years so we're going to sit down we're going to sit down with the experts and we're going to look at what actually needs to do and we're going to do it form the policies that are going to form the basis of the next white paper so we don't end up with the same mess that we had the last time and then we're also going to be looking at you know the purpose of holding this referendum is to win it is to become an independent country and actually that's a lot of work and that's actually one of the reasons a lot of people vote no, is they looked at the plans that we had the last time for actually becoming an independent country, which were pretty much non-existent, and they didn't take it seriously. They, they thought, who are these people? What are they talking about? They've got no actual plans for implementing this should they get a yes vote. Much like the Brexiteers did two years later, they had no plans whatsoever for implementing that vote. And when they won it, they all disappeared like rats leaving a sinking ship as quickly as they possibly could. You know, it's taken what, four years for some sort of half-assed plan to be knocked together, which is essentially whatever the EU told them when it came right down to it in the end. So we're not going to do that. We're going to have a plan. We're going to have a plan for a sensible, practical, credible transition to independence that's going to involve looking at all the areas that people will be concerned about. You know, how are we going to move all these civil service departments from Westminster control to our control where are we going to get all these civil servants from where are we going to put them all these sort of things so that's the next three to six months we'll be looking at that sort of thing um but also critically over the short term we're also going to be looking at how we're going to win this referendum because there's no point planning to win a referendum that you aren't going to get to hold so we have a national assembly coming up at the end of this month where we're going to discuss it in detail and thrash out exactly what we think it's the best course of action. Everybody that's a member can come to that. Hopefully, not everybody that's a member will come to that, but everybody that's interested can come. I see Angus Brendan is on the on the chat. I'm sure he'll have some questions for me. And we will go through in detail all the possible routes to an independence referendum, and we will strategize what we're going to do. You know, starting with a plan that we currently have and working through a flowchart of all the possible options and making plans for each contingencies, for each of those options. And hopefully we can reach a consensus. We'll bring that consensus to conference in March, April. I don't know when the conference will be, but and we will pass those plans as the SNP strategy for our upcoming election. I was actually looking at Nicola's conference speech just when Charlotte was speaking there. Something she said <laughs> made me think about it. And I was asked by a journalist earlier in the week about it when Boris was havering on about having to wait till 2044 or whatever else it was. This is what Nicola said in her speech. She said, next week, we will ask you, the people of Scotland, to put your trust in us, to continue that task of building a better country. And then she goes on to say, in that election, I will seek your authority, no one else's, for a legal independence referendum to be held in the early part of the new Parliament. Now, to my mind, what that means is she's going to seek... The authority of the sovereign people of Scotland, who have no legal superior in the United Kingdom, to hold a referendum. Which, because she has sought that authority, will be a legal referendum. And I think that's probably the way we're going to go. But, you know, I'm happy to discuss Kristen Angus's plebiscite plans, which I'm not 100% persuaded by, but they're certainly interested. And I've probably waited on for quite long enough now, so I'll let you guys ask me and Charlotte as many questions as you like.
0: Thank you very much, Chris. So we've got a lot of people already putting questions in the chat. We've got about seven or eight people already. I, was one, I hope nobody will mind if I go first to one of our own members, uh, Geraldine Houston, and the reason for that is that Geraldine is a doctor and she is going to have to leave the meeting before terribly long for a meeting about vaccination. So uh, I would like to go over to Geraldine and allow her to ask her question. After that, we've got um, Ruth Barrett, Mary McCabe, Matthew Zajak, Nick Bowles, um, Dave Russell, and Tracy Shaw, Scott Craig, Mark Whittet, and Tom. So can we go to you, Geraldine, if you'd
3: like to unmute yourself? Thanks, Val. So my questions for Chris. I'm an SNP member, SNP on a member of yes, Glasgow Northwest. Also, I'm a big Nicola Sturgeon fan and have kind of always been very much in the camp that of course she would be pushing for an independence referendum as soon as humanly possible. I did agree with her I didn't want to go through how I felt on the 19th of September ever again so you know was was quite happy to wait till the polls were favourable and I've always been very much I suppose thinking it's okay Nicola has a plan and she has a plan for if or when Boris Johnson refuses the Section 30 order. I have been slightly beginning to panic a wee bit recently. What if she doesn't have a plan? If we leave it to chance and we get a big majority, the SNP or independence supporting parties get a, a big majority in May. Boris Johnson says no, and then we're we have no plan, plan B as such. What then? I am slightly beginning to panic that if we go through the rest of 2021 with no backup plan, that we may be waiting another four or five years. So my question is, what can we do to apply pressure? My preferred option, to be honest, is not the plebiscite. Uh, My preferred option is for it to be in the SNP manifesto for me, that if we get a majority, we will make a commitment to holding an independence referendum, whether or not Boris Johnson says no. So that was to Chris.
0: Yeah.
2: So does Nicola have a plan?
3: And what can we do? Sorry, what can we do, the grassroots activists, mm. to apply pressure?
2: So what you can do to apply pressure is write to Keith Brown. Um, it's his responsibility to produce this manifesto. Um, he's does a couple of staff at head office as well that help him, but you know it's his job. You know, so if you want things in that manifesto, tell him. Does Nicola have a plan? Yeah, I think she does. I think. I, I, I entirely empathise with their frustration. It's terrifying. It's like watching somebody else play poker. It's like watching play, somebody else play, like Texas Hold'em or something like that. And you know, you know they're a good player, and you, you're, you're, you're sure they've got this. But all the other guys, they're good players too, and you don't quite know what they've got. What, what are those face down cards? Does she have a four and a five, or does she have two aces? I don't know. It is a bit, a bit terrifying. What I would say about that is, is the plan. I think a lot of people focus on the wrong things when they're worrying about the plan. How do we hold and win an independence referendum and become an independent country? Um, well, the first thing we had to do was get Trump out of the White House. Absolute first thing we had to do. <laughs> you know, Alec and Nicola have not made a friend at Donald Trump. He's still in the White House. There is no way on God's green earth the United States was going to recognise our independence. It was never going to happen. So until that happened, we were stuffed. It wouldn't have mattered what Boris Johnson said. It wouldn't have mattered who got elected at Westminster because the trick with becoming independent is you need to be recognized by your peers, by other nations, other independent nations. Doesn't matter what England thinks. It matters what the US thinks. It matters what Germany thinks. It matters what France thinks. It very crucially matters what Spain thinks. And if we can't carry them, there's no point holding a referendum, even if we were to win it. Just like there wouldn't be any point holding a referendum that we were gonna lose because we only were getting 45% in the polls. So, you know, the plan for getting and winning a referendum had to involve as crucial first steps, winning over the international community and building our domestic support for independence up to above 50%. Now. I think right now we pretty much have that international support. Now, I don't know whether that support is conditional on how we go about what we do in the next few months. I suspect it might well be, particularly in the part of Spain. And, you know, the door is now open in how many days' time? Two weeks. Two weeks. Biden will be inaugurated. Trump will be gone. The Democrats have control in the Senate. Sanity will return to the democratic world. So... The door is now open we can do it i think like i said i think we can craft something in the manifesto that will like you say not depend on westminster's permission do you think that's is, likely
3: do you think that's likely
2: chris um yeah yeah i do because we're going to hold a national assembly in you know a week and a half two and a half weeks something like that 24th it's 24th and You know, the members will come, we will discuss it, we will reach a strategic consensus on the way forward, and I will make sure it's implemented.
3: Cool. Okay.
2: You know, it's my job as the convener of the Policy Development Committee to turn that consensus into concrete conference resolutions, put those to the conference committee, and ensure that the conference committee puts them on the agenda. And that's what's going to happen.
3: On the agenda for this conference
2: spring conference
3: and when's the manifesto
2: coming out uh, i think the manifesto is going to be out in april i think i don't know i don't know i've okay. never actually been involved in producing a manifesto before so i couldn't tell you but i think it's going to be late march april sort of time so I you move on, on. Then,
4: please
0: would that be okay yeah. if we move on from there yes thanks we, val right thanks very much for that chris and geraldine and if we can try and um, have questions that are going to both Some of the questions, at least, I know a lot of you are in the SNP, but we do have people from different parties, so it would be good to have questions that are for both as well. I'm not saying you can't only ask questions that are to Chris, but you can have a mixture. We've got about 10 or 11 people waiting to ask, so it would be good if people could make their questions and the answers fairly concise so that we can come to as many people. So um, I'm taking them in order that they came. Could we uh, go to Ruth Barrett first, please, and then afterwards to Mary McCabe?
5: Thanks, I'm sorry, my question is also just for, for Chris really, but but um, Charlotte, your, your talk was great and, and I'm really interested to hear what's going to happen and once the new organisation launches. Uh, So, Chris, my question is that I understand in the next NEC meeting there's going to be a debate regarding the previously passed policy that sitting MPs are unable to stand for election to Holyrood without resigning their Westminster seat first and paying £10,000 to help fund a by-election. Will the NEC be in a position at that meeting to overturn the ridiculous policy and so allow current MPs to stand
2: Um, So, well, you're better informed than me. Um, I don't have an agenda for it yet, so don't know. Um, It certainly wasn't discussed at last meeting. Um, I can't see it happening because, you know, there's already MPs have committed themselves to doing this and, you know, their staff will have committed themselves to a major amount of upheaval. It's very, very, very late in the game for making significant changes to the way that we populate the list for May Um, there is a proposal for something else that's about the list going and I firstly I don't like it because it's making changes very 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 late in the day and I don't think that's appropriate you know the, the rules were set in June and nobody was very happy about them there were a great deal of unpleasant things said about the changes that were made and I think we should probably leave it alone for the time being rather than Rushing in with more changes that might have other unforeseen consequences. We need to get on and win this election rather than trying to fart about with the the selection rules again, is my opinion. But like I say, it's not on the agenda. I've not seen the agenda. So that's, you know, I've seen the reports in the press, but as far as I know, they're entirely unfounded.
5: No, right. That was, I think that was in the press that I saw it. So, yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank
0: you very much. Could we move on to Mary McCabe,
5: please? I've got a question for um, Chris and also a question for Charlotte. The question for Chris, I do get that SNP SNP policy doesn't necessarily become Scottish government policy, but I I wondered what kind of leverage or what pressure you can put on the Um, to encourage the Scottish Government to pay attention at least to resolutions that are passed at conference. On behalf of my branch, I recently put forward two resolutions on very big issues which have been discussed by other parties and by other countries. Uh, one was on taxing unproductive land, and the other was on wage ratio legislation. Now, both of these were passed by a claim, but the Scottish Government, I, I don't expect it to sort of bung it in its manifesto, but There's been no acknowledgement, there's been no discussion, there's been nothing to show that they're aware of these resolutions. I'm only using my resolutions as an example. There are lots of other cases of this. And when I asked, I got a chance to ask two members of the Scottish Land Commission about the taxing of unproductive land, they're discussing it, and they were completely non-committal. So it's very, as you know, as you said yourself, it's really hard getting a resolution, a radical resolution. I just mean a resolution proposing some kind of real change onto the agenda in the first place. So if after they've passed, there's never even any acknowledgement in the years that come that this has happened, you wonder what's the point. So that's my question to Chris. The link between resolutions passed at conference
0: and Scott, the Scottish government noticing that they're there. That's fine, Mary. We'll, we'll take your second quick. We'll let Chris answer that and we'll come back. If you can make your question nice and short. Right, on you go, Chris.
2: So very briefly, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You go to all this trouble, you pass a resolution and it passes and it becomes party policy and then nothing happens. I watched with great interest Gillian Martin over the last parliament because I was, I happened to be at the very first national council I went to was the one that Gillian Martin brought her SCAR proposal for providing sanitary protection for free for for you know vulnerable, disadvantaged women. And then I watched over the next three or four years while she busted her arse on the back benches to get that policy into legislation. And so many other things that pass at conference don't get the same treatment. They just languish in a drawer somewhere and nobody ever hears from them again. Now, the fact of the matter is, that the party's constitution is that it's the NEC's responsibility and duty to ensure that party policy becomes reality, that it's implemented. Um, the NEC does not seem to do that, so we will be looking to reform the NEC to ensure that it does.
5: It's possible. It's possible. You've answered this already, and I just didn't sort of twig. But your, your new group that you're setting up, and um, what's its name? And I'm, I'm the membership. Um, Secretary of the Scottish Independence Convention, which is a blanket group for a whole lot of groups, and I know there are lots and lots of groups, some of them geographical, some of them to do with some We group or other, an identification group. I just wondered what makes your group different from all the others? I'm not saying that we shouldn't have as many groups as possible, I think we should actually, but I just wondered is there anything that marks yours out? I mean, we've got all under one banner, we've got a whole lot of different lots who are doing it. What makes your
1: wee group our big group, our growing group, different? And what's its name? Hi, Mary. Well, I, as I as I thought I, I tried to explain at the beginning, I'm a bit restricted as what I can say because we want to have a build-up of the anticipation for the launch of this yeah. group on the 16th of yeah. January. But we will be ready to do that, and the name and the, the mission statement and the constitution and the membership, the website will all be there on that day. So we're trying to build up to a launch for that. And certainly we've got aspirations for it, as I tried to explain. But I think the way in which it will be different is it's single membership. It is um, people are going to be asked to pay a nominal fee. It will be it's also international. People will be free to join it. We will have constant assemblies. I mean, I'm hearing the internal organisation of the SNP and National Assembly and Manifesto. We will have regular assemblies of members of this organization, which will shape its policy. And I think we have to, because somebody spoke about leverage. Part of the role of this group is leverage on the SNP, because the independence movement is bigger than the SNP. It's certainly lots of people who are members of the SNP are on the national committee and will undoubtedly join this organization, but lots of voters for the SNP will join it because they do not feel that there's enough being done fast enough. Now there's all sorts of discussions about strategy and tactics, I know that, but what what makes this different is that we are very consciously trying to broaden the independence movement. We want to get people in all walks of life involved. We want to get sections of Scottish society which hitherto have not necessarily identified themselves as being independent supporters, such as trade union. I know there's a trade union group in the SNP. People keep telling me, frankly, I don't see anything being done with it. So we want to see trade unionists within this group that we are forming march as the trade unions, bring their trade union banner, for example, to the marches that we... Will have or get involved in Zoom meetings trying to get trade union members together who are not necessarily members of the SNP. I mean, politics is changing, and I think that the structures of the independence movement have to change with it. Chris mentioned Trump going, there's Brexit here, there's all sorts of consequences that roll out from COVID and post COVID economy, and we want to be part of shaping the Scotland we want that's independence and we don't want to be waiting and passively waiting for the SNP to sort out its strategy. We want to have some leverage on them and doing that I think that's what the motivation for people to join this organisation. We're not going to be part of the National Assembly of the SNP, we're not going to influence what's going in the manifesto want to influence the independence movement and and we're getting frustrated and we think that's an urgent process. And not always the electoral cycle meets the needs of people and what people want. Moments in history come and go. If we don't get this now, I do not believe the patience of people will last much longer or wait around for the SNP to do it. I mean, I'd like to be talking about strategy like, well, what if Boris Johnson does grant us Section 30, but does then put conditions on it. What if somebody says, uh, what about Devo Max? Well, we have a third question on the referendum instead of just a yes or no? All these are possible, and our enemies are thinking about doing that right now. And still we're bogged down in this, will the SNP or won't they? It, There's a it's lot not... of
0: agreement in the chat there for what you're saying, Charlotte, so I'm going yeah. to try
1: on hope. I hope yeah. I've answered Mary's question. Yeah,
0: I'm going to read out the names of the people that are still got questions to ask so that they know that they're coming up, but and it'll let you see how quickly, you know, how brief we need to be. Got Nick Bowles, Dave Russell, Tracy Shaw, Scott Craig, Mark Whit. Put it Tom, Janine McNair, Kenneth V e and Ken Andrews. So if we could belt on with some of those. Uh, can I come to you, Matthew? Would you like to ask your question?
6: I, I would like to just ask uh, Charlotte a, bit, a very closely related question, is, which is, um, I take it that your uh, new um, movement has had some discussion of legal routes for uh, Scottish independence. Are you in agreement that we have to achieve independence via a legal route?
1: We haven't got agreement or, or we haven't got party uh, the policy of that. No, we just want to be a campaigning organisation for it. And as and when the strategy unravels or unrolls rather, not unravels. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be from the SNP. We will hope to have a nimble enough organization to meet and make a decision on those things. We've concentrated on a basic constitution and mission statement and then becoming a membership organization. And then hopefully as a result of that, we will be able to organize and and make those sorts of policies as we go and respond to events. Legal route on the basis that if the Tories don't grant it, what is a legal route? I've not heard what Plan B is from the SNP. Well, you may not from the SNP, but there's been plenty of debate about it in the press. There has been, there has been, but it's not, I don't think it's the role, the role of this organisation, and again, I'm speaking on my own behalf here, to plan a strategy that is, if you like, in parallel to the SNP. I think the role of our organisation is to respond to things as on the ground. And that that will be mobilised. If and when we get a referendum, we would mobilise to get a yes vote. If there is no referendum, we would mobilise to try and force the issue that we have one in, Sco- in Scotland and we don't rely on the Westminster's position to do it. So there's a lot of strategic things that we have not, got a policy on because we want to start off being a mass membership group that as a membership group we can decide these things okay sure so okay Okay. Okay. i hope that answers it
0: thanks thanks. very much charlotte thanks matthew i should have mentioned that i've got a question from malcolm mitchell as well can we move straight on to nick bowles please
6: a fairly basic question i i was having a discussion last night with a good friend who is fairly radical but any criticism of the current SNP leadership strategy was not going over very well. You know, it was all, no, no, there's a there's a cunning plan, let's not rock the boat. And this is somebody whose opinion I respect, that I'm not going to make the accusation that lots of people have made, that Nicola's becoming a bit of a cult figure. I am worried that there is a massive resistance to even pressuring the SNP, you know, members pressuring the SNP from within, even the the things that we did at conference, the votes, you know, the people that we managed to get voted on to the NEC. So how do you recommend we allay these fears and present constructive criticisms of current party policy without riding the horses.
0: Would that question be more directed at Chris as an official? In the? As, as, a, a, as an official in the NEC,
6: the, that's the, really yeah. directed at Chris, yes. Right, you yes.
0: Are. okay, thank you. And then we'll move on to another question after that. Chris, would you like to ask? Us?
2: Yeah, so I think if you want to change the SNP, if there's things about the SNP and the way it, it behaves that frustrate you and you want to change things about it, well, the best thing to do is to join the SNP and do something about it. What occurred this year that should have occurred last year and didn't is that people that were frustrated organised. They organised. They decided they wanted to do something about it. They identified what was wrong. They identified who needed to do what, who needed to get elected to what, and they did something about it. And you know, they weren't 100% successful, but they were a good deal more successful than they had been in the past. And I think that's very much changed the character of the organisation. That There are a lot of people across a number of committees who are frustrated with current party policy and strategy and want to see it change or want to at least hear it justified. So, you know, you're already doing the right thing. Participate, come to the National Assembly, You know, lay out your concerns, listen to the evidence that other people are presenting about the various options and actually be part of the process of reaching a decision. I think that's the most useful thing people can do, actually participate in a democratic process inside the party.
0: Thank you for your question. Also, Nick, can we move straight on now to Dave Russell, please?
6: Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to ask you both what you thought about a plebiscite election.
0: Go to Charlotte first on that, please. Charlotte, a plebiscite election, what is your view? On the idea of a plebiscite election in me. Can
1: I ask what David understands, what his understanding of that actually is?
6: Well, it would be a manifesto commitment by the SNP and other
2: independent supporting parties that should there be a majority voting for them, that would give the new government a mandate to
7: negotiate independence with Westminster
6: straight away, possibly subject to a confirmatory referendum set up by the Scottish Government later on.
1: Sounds like a plan. I mean, I'm, I'm not an SNP member, but I think if that was a commitment in the refer- in their manifesto and that they would be therefore committed to organising that referendum without having to go cap in hand to Boris Johnson to ask for it, yeah, I think that's a plan.
0: What what about yourself? What's your view on the idea, the concept of a plebiscite election? Um, So
1: I think, very
2: much like Charlotte, I think my first reaction is, well, what do you mean by a plebiscite election?
1: I'm
2: not sure why. there's, There's a lot of different versions of the same sort of basic idea. I'm not really persuaded by any of them for a variety of reasons, principally because I'm a believer in popular sovereignty. Scotland is the home of this idea that it's the people that are sovereign. Not the masters, not the government, not the monarch. The people are sovereign. So if you're proposing some sort of electoral strategy where you will be declaring independence based on some sort of election outcome, where there's any possibility that fewer than 50% of the population vote for it, I'm not for it, I'm not having it. I'll stand on the barricades against you. That's not acceptable for Scotland to become independent. It has to be, has to be, because a majority of the people of Scotland want that to happen. Now, there's ways you can set up an election where you're you know, taking your result from a majority of the people rather than a majority of the representatives that are elected. But I'm not happy with that either, for the same reason that you all absolutely hated the last SNP conference and I hated being involved in producing its agenda. It was absolutely stuffed full of these horrendous resolutions, composite resolutions that were produced, and they were awful. Everybody hated them. I hated them. I said so repeatedly over and over again, got ignored. Because you you were asking people to vote for multiple things at the same time. You were asking people to vote for three or four things that they absolutely loved and one thing they absolutely hated and every single person at conference felt the same way and they all gritted their teeth and voted for them in the end. But this, the wailing and gnashing of teeth could be heard from space when you know, that agenda was first published and I think it's very much the same thing with a plebiscite election. You go to the polls at a parliamentary election to elect representatives to govern for five years and if you're going to staple on something else to that then you've confused the issue and you've confused the issue in exactly the same way that those composite resolutions were confused and i'm opposed to it on principle i'm opposed to it there would be nothing to stop you having a second ballot paper with yes no on it at the same time on the same day the same way we voted for our parliament in hollywood in the first place because we had that referendum on the same day as the council elections, so you went and went to the polling station. You got two ballot papers, you filled them out, you put them in two separate boxes. That's how we ran that election. We could easily run the next one like that, and then you would have clear, separate answers to different questions: Who do you want to represent to you in your constituency? Who do you want to re- want you to represent you on the list in Parliament? And do you want to be an independent nation? I personally am opposed to conflating two things so yeah I'm not a big fan of the idea of climate state elections I like the idea of having our authority come from the people in that manifesto in that election to then hold a referendum so that people can give a clear answer yes or no
0: Thanks very much, Chris. Right, we'll move on to Tracy Shaw. Tracy, I think you were also wanting to ask about that topic, but I think you had another question.
4: Some some questions have been answered, and I was just going to ask about Chris. What do you think of the Martin Keating court case? Are you aware of it? The people's action on Section Thirty.
2: Yeah, um, what, I am aware what, of it. What do you think of it? Well, I've I've read a lot of the sort of original papers, and I quite like them. So I had a bit of a discussion with Andrew Tickell about this before this came up, and this is kind of the way I would personally go about approaching this, because, like I said, the people of Scotland are sovereign. the people of Scotland instruct Holyrood and empower Holyrood to wind up the union, then that's good enough for me, and that's legal, because the people of Scotland are sovereign. They have no legal superior in the United Kingdom. The Supreme Court would not overrule a question, an independent, a referendum question that said, do you instruct and empower the parliament in Holyrood to end the union? That would be perfectly legal. And it would be within the power of Holyrood to put the question. And once the question would be answered, then it would be within the power of Holyrood, because the power would have been devolved directly from the people to Holyrood to actually enact it. Martin has said pretty much the same thing in slightly different ways, not the way I would have said, and I think probably in a slightly weaker way. So just you know, reasonable chance he might lose, but world power too, in my opinion.
4: I can see from Martin's emails and updates that the Scottish Government um, or the SNP appear to be putting roadblocks in his way for this court case and trying to put delays on, which is costing him and us who have put money into it. Money. And I wonder if there's an official line on it.
2: I've got no idea. I try not to give too much credence to the wilder rumours I see on the internet, you know, having seen the sort of nonsense that goes around in the States, you know that a lot of the stuff that's going around on the internet is either just flat wrong, lies, or it's, you know, Chinese whispers. So I try not to worry too much about rumours that go around the internet and focus on the job at hand, which is winning independence. That's the most important thing. I think Martin's case has a chance. It has a good point at its heart. I think it could be made better. It could be presented better. But I think it's entirely possible it could be won and it could be one at the UK Supreme Court, and actually it would give us a spectacular amount of power because it would put us in a position where we'd be able to hold referendums on anything at all because it would be the sovereign people of Scotland making the decision in those referendums. They have the power to do whatever they like. Hollywood doesn't. Hollywood, many of the powers are reserved. Hollywood can't do certain things. The people of Scotland absolutely can't. They can do whatever they like if only they were asked.
0: Thanks, Tracey. As well, before I move on to the next question, I think I'll just read out a, a comment from Alex McCulloch. Alex said in the chat, this is just, um, I thought I would read it out. He says, quick reality check, majority polling for independence, SNP polling at 57 seat majority. The SNP plan is simple, majority government in May followed by a referendum in September 2021. Why are we not discussing positive? campaign messages and tactics to convince more people to trust that it's better to be independent and secure the required majorities. So um, that's something that might come up in the subsequent questions. Can I go to Mark Whittet now? And I believe Mark, you're from the Independence for Scotland referendum party. Correct me if I've said that wrongly. Can we come to you, Mark, please?
8: Delighted to be here tonight uh, to share with you and with Mary McCabe and your colleague Chetty. A simple question, it's not particularly directed at uh, our colleagues from the SNP, but the, uh, the question is, what is the SNP's number one policy? Well, the SNP, and I'll answer the question as uh, uh, Andrew Wilson used to answer when he was at the Royal Bank. The SNP have got loads of policies, but the number one policy is for independence for Scotland. That is the same and only policy of Scotland's independence referendum party. So the SNP, never mind the plebiscites or whatever, all the SNP need to do is to make their manifesto for this election in May. The number one policy is vote for us for Scotland's independence. Great. The SNP will win 65, 67, 70 seats on that first-past-the-post system. Great. But 70 votes, although a majority in the Scottish Parliament is not enough to persuade Boris Johnson to agree to Section 30. So what Scotland needs to do is like Ireland did in 1918, that all opposition parties plus the SNP need to agree on the one policy, which is vote for us and we'll get Scotland's independence. That would mean that the SNP would get about 70 MSPs, the independence parties could get up to 30, Scotland's independence referendum party tried to form a Scotland-wide alliance. We still have that rather diminishing hope now. I'm just going to stand for the Lothian's vote. It will diminish the impact of the individualist votes, but the SNP is not enough. 70 SNP MPs is not enough to get a super majority to persuade Boris Johnson in the face of international law that the democratically expressed will of Scotland with 100-odd MSPs in favour of Scottish independence would be enough to declare UDI? Or is Boris Johnson going to say, no, you're still not going to get it? Well, you end up in a Catalonia kind of uh, impasse. But the international court, the United Nations, Craig Murray, a well-known contributor, has laid out and have posted a tweet to his links, You don't need somebody's permission to have a Section 30 referendum. Well, the the question is, is the SNP going to stand in the way of Scotland's independence and say it's SNP or nothing, or are they going to maximise the independence vote by encouraging their voters who, instead of voting SNP 2, to vote for indie list parties, that would produce... About twenty-five to thirty indie list MPs. Will the SNP do that, or will they continue to be uh, part of the problem?
0: Could ask to go to Chris on that. I, I take it, Charlotte, maybe you wouldn't be wanting to answer that question. No, not, not really. Might, you might be, but I'll go to Chris <laughs> on that. I mean, I think I could probably answer that myself in that the (laughs) SNP are organising nationwide regional events eh, and the theme of it is both votes SNP. So I think it would be fairly obvious to say the answer to your question is no, they're not going to encourage their voters to vote for MDLs. But eh, I'm not an expert, so I'll pass it to Chris.
2: Thanks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, The (laughs) SNP is absolutely not going to encourage the voters to vote for somebody else. That's just not going to happen. You know, the Electoral Commission would throw a fit. And that's you know, why that's this, why Scotland will not be independent. And if I could finish, it's against our constitution. So we're not going to encourage people to vote for somebody else. That's just not going to happen. There was a possibility at an earlier stage, you know, I was involved some of the discussions that led to Alliance. You don't need um, to encourage. Step, for
8: step aside.
0: Excuse me, Mark, could you just allow Chris to answer your question without being interrupted? Thank you.
8: So like I said,
2: I was involved um, with Jim and some others in the original discussions about what became Alliance. And, you know, I made my thoughts on that pretty clear at the time. It didn't seem like it was mathematically impossible that it was a good idea. It required a certain number of conditions to be met. One of those that it was going to have to have credible candidates, candidates that people of Scotland were going to be comfortable voting for. And with the best intent in the world, I don't see that being the case. Six, seven, eight, nine months later, you know, um, Business for Scotland did some research on this. They did a big poll and much to their surprise, uh, you know, something like 30% or 40% of SNP voters were willing to vote for another party on the list if they were credible. And I remember Gordon McIntyre-Kemp saying at the time, you know, we're we're not going to get involved in this at the moment, we're not going to have a position on it. But if there is a credible party comes up and appears, we'll revisit that. hasn't happened. And I don't see it happening at this present time. So, you know, I think the SNP are going to stick to their current strategy, which is both votes SNP. Now, I'm not going to comment one way or the other whether or not I think that's a reasonable strategy or the best possible strategy. But it's the strategy that's going to happen because there isn't a viable alternative independence party that's going to take 30% of the votes on the list. I just listen
4: right thanks very much chris thank you for your question mark hi everyone i'm um, i'm a new member to the snp um although i did sort of campaign for the westminster election last year but i'm really interested to know as a new member um how we start to campaign now as grassroots activists and what lines we use what messages we need to get across what we want to understand about what will come into the manifesto so that we can start now, in whatever way is appropriate, to convince. I mean, we're all, I'm I'm assuming that the majority of us here are um, independent supporters. It's the no voters we have to convince. It's the doubters that we have to convince and persuade. (laughs) And, and we have to do that with consistent, clear messages and and, and strategies and lines and, and scripts.
0: Can I just remind everybody, though, that although a lot of us are in the SNP, this isn't an SNP meeting. I know it's quite hard because Chris is a national office bearer, but this is a yes group. There's quite a lot of folk here that are not members of the SNP. But I think you mean generally as independence campaigners,
4: don't you? Well, I do, because my my question would also be to Charlotte. How do all the different parties and and groups work together um, to to achieve independence? Charlotte. Thanks, Helen. Yes, I
1: mean, I think this is is why the organisation that I'm about to launch is going to be important, and all the Yes groups as well, because there is a movement. It's a genuine movement for independence all over Scotland. There's a variety of different groups in which I think the yes groups in particular, but also all under one banner, have mobilised at the grassroots level. Things like letter writing, fundraising, postering, leafleting, yes stones, that my group's very, very good at, putting little messages and indications, by the way, we're still here, even during COVID. And that's the sort of stuff that people even in COVID can get involved in if they have the materials to do it. So one of the things that we're going to do is when people join this group, we're going to send out a membership pack which contains stickers and bumper stickers and posters with the logo on. And we need to get the message out there that COVID, COVID hasn't defeated us. And that's something that in just a small way many, many people can do. But I also think that the grassroots that have not already been mobilised, difficult though it is in COVID times, we have to link in the, the achievement of certain goals that people want to a Scottish independence. So, for example, if you want to have land reform much faster than the SNP is bringing into law, we need an independent Scotland. There's a climate crisis that has, Nicola Sturgeon has, de, has actually declared. If you want Scotland to mobilise its resources to produce a green economy, along the lines that Commonweal have argued for, that can only be done with an independent Scotland. If you want immigrants to be welcome here because we desperately need a bigger population in Scotland to achieve all the ambitions we want, we can only do that with an independent Scotland. So you're linking issues to the achievement of independence. And I particularly feel that uh, the people who have suffered most in COVID, which is our most deprived areas, which are still deprived, even after many SNP governments in power, if we want to be able to deliver a fairer Scotland for everyone, we need independence, but we need people who are interested in these issues to realise that what their ambitions are can only be realised with independence. In other words, linking issues together to independence. I don't think that has been done enough in the independence movement up to now. And that's why when somebody earlier said, we just have one issue and it's independence, I think that's totally wrong. I think we have to have every issue is linked to independence. And broaden it out that way. And that means people feel that they and their communities have a stake in an independent Scotland. If the discussion is only ever about the legalities of referendums and the currency, I think that's leaving most of Scotland out of the discussion and we need to change that. We need to accept that something has changed in the world and we need to change the independence movement to meet it. And with all respect to the SNP members and all the things that go with the political party gearing up for an election, many of the people in the movement are not interested in that. They want to start campaigning now. And so whatever you do, whatever you can volunteer to do, you do it. And there's lots of groups, including the yes groups, that will give you the means to do it in a safe way And I would have to say that our group that's going to be launched on the 16th of January will hope be one of the places that many, many people who have hitherto not been part of this movement come to and will hopefully give them the means and the confidence to do it. But it's a great question. To me, the key in the next year is the grassroots.
0: Thank you very much, Charlotte. Chris, have you got a quick observation on that question as well? What I would say
2: there is that I think people don't really grasp the limitations of the SNP. So the SNP's strategy for winning independence has been for the last 20 years to get a referendum and win it. And to do that, the strategy was to start to look like a credible party of government, get elected into government, and then govern well. Now, what that's actually resulted in is that the SNP has, has created a sort of straitjacket for itself. It has to look like a credible party of government. It can't be running around with its hair on fire with its face painted blue, screaming freedom. It's just not going to work. If they want to continue to be the party of government, they have to continue looking like a credible party of government. And that's fine. We need that. We absolutely need that. We need the SP to be in government to ever stand a chance of winning. But push the, the window a little further. You need something else. So, you know, I was at my own Yes group meeting last night. I have been involved with Business for Scotland for a couple of years now, and they have been campaigning like blazes all over the shop, not anywhere that we see, because instead of campaigning in our little echo chamber, they campaign where the soft nose are. And there's all sorts of other fantastic groups, like the one Charlotte is forming, there's the Yes Stones, which are fantastic. We need to campaign out with the boundaries of the SNP. And, you know, obviously we're all having to adjust, given COVID, that you know we have to campaign differently, but the Yes Stones are a a spectacular example of a way that we can campaign without actually having to worry too much about COVID restrictions. You know, sure. get involved with Business for Scotland, join the Believe in Scotland Facebook group. I'm a moderator on that. Start handing out Scotland a brief to everybody that you can that stops long enough. And that's that's another critical point as well. If you're campaigning, you you really need to make sure you're campaigning with credible facts, good yeah. information. And that's one of the reasons I'm involved with Business for Scotland, because Business for Scotland produces Sourced, credible, fact-checked stuff instead of the sort of mad meanderings that you sometimes see on the internet. That you know, if you
0: really done excellent work. Yeah. In fact, did they not win the yes best? They did. They did award. I... Well, we've got quite a lot in our yes group but we haven't been able to have any stalls for a while what i have done though is i met a friend recently um and she was a no voter but she's kind of swithering now but she said to me but i mean can we afford it so the first thing i did when i got home was popped a, one of these wee books in have an envelope and i've posted it to her so i'm looking forward to hear her hearing her response obviously it was a wee while ago we met the
7: cafe's have been shut right. Uh it's to both Charlotte and Chris, I guess. I, I can't remember which one of you said that you, you like to hear what the, the, the devil and all his works are up to by reading the telegraph. And I do something kind of similar. And this morning I was listening to Nick Ferrari on LBC and a guy came on and and basically saying what why are the Scots so ungrateful? We're giving them all this vaccine whatever. And you know, so so he 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 made a bit of a twat of himself about that and then he said in any anyway, he said why don't we just get rid of them why don't we let them go so my question to you both is how do we start using england's white van man as a campaign tool
1: uh yes um i don't want to be encouraging bigotry in any way in anyone. however i would say that the tory party or the people who run the tory party now undoubtedly appeal to and encourage that sort of politics. They are little Englanders, they are English nationalists. They don't care about Wales, Scotland or Ireland, Northern Ireland. And I would say that there is a wing of them would be quite happy to see the back of Scotland for all sorts of reasons. But at the same time, there's a, a wing of them that as that Telegraph article said, he doesn't want to be known as the prime minister who ended the union. But I think we just let them get on with making their own propaganda for independence because they they are part of this movement too. I mean, really, if you look at COVID, and this is actually serious, if you look at the organisation of the Tory party, they cut down the state and public sector for years. The health service had to respond to a pandemic and found itself... In the middle of this ideological Tory government who was privatising services, who was giving contracts to their own pals, who had no experience at all in the distribution of PPE. They, they were adhering to what was called a herd immunity strategy. It's not an exaggeration to say that tens of thousands of people have got COVID and indeed died because of their strategy. Now, if that is not enough in itself to persuade people in Scotland that we'd be better out of this crazy arrangement, I don't know. I mean, seriously, do we really want to have these people running our country and our affairs for much longer? The sooner we get out of it, the better. And the more that we hear and see what they do, and this will continue with Brexit, the more that is propaganda in our favour. But I'm not going to be encouraging any bigotry. Well in, said, in our, Charlotte.
4: Well I, said.
1: Hands across the sea and hands across the border. There's people in England suffering from this damn Tory government as well. But we at least have a route out of it.
7: Yeah, I, I agree, Charlotte, and certainly it was a slightly flippant question. However, there the, is this line now being used that we only got the vaccine because of the beneficence of, of our English neighbours. And we really need to, to kill that line up, off because we get to campaigning and that's the kind of question that's gonna be out on the streets and on the doorsteps. So we need to have something or some sort of serious rebuttal to that.
0: And there's quite a few folk saying rebuttal is a key issue. They're agreeing with you there, Kenny. Chris, do you want to answer that one?
2: How do we go about persuading England that they want shot of us carefully? carefully. Brexit is the result of a, a crisis of English identity, which it's been argued was actually brought on by devolution. And actually, I think Ad Business for Scotland has been doing this for a while now, gradually doing target Facebook advertising in England, polling in England, trying to develop a sense of English identity and trying to develop this idea that actually maybe England would be better off without Scotland or the United Kingdom would be better off separate nations. So it can be done. It is being done. Business for Scotland polled England and got something like 48% of people polled thought England should become independent of the United Kingdom. So they're very, very nearly, they're on the cusp of coming to that conclusion. I heard a story earlier today about um, Redwall English MPs, Tory MPs saying, why don't we just give them the referendum? So it can be done, but it would have to be done very carefully. all in the Freeman
0: Thanks, Chris. Right, um, we've got time just for a few more.
9: Could we th- move to Janine McNair? Following up from what we've been saying, what you've been talking about just in the last 10 minutes, um, I think the manipulation of the press that, that we've got in front of us is actually such a major issue because those people that still haven't changed to yes, I mean, if they haven't changed with everything that's gone on in the last year... Then it it really begs the question: What on earth would make them change? And I think a big reason for that is the press and the fact that a lot of people who don't maybe use um, social media as much, there's still a, a substantial part of the population that depend on going into the supermarket and buying, you know, the mail, even the Herald, the Scotsman. They're all guilty really of the same thing. So I just wonder what Chris and Charlotte think could be done about that you know because it even seems it's really like beyond the pale the extent of the propaganda that, that we're dealing with I mean is it is it even within the the United Nations uh, Declaration of Human Rights to actually mislead people to the extent that happens in this country and is there anything that they think we could we could do we could claim maybe some uh, justice or some some change to that because it, it seems you so anti-democratic <laughs>
2: I think uh, disinformation in the mass media is a massive issue. Um, it's not just the newspapers. Facebook as well is a massive issue. If you see what's happened around the world, by Anne being a good example of you know misinformation really skewing the way people see the world. And it has really serious deleterous effects. Um, what can we do about it? I don't think we have time. I don't think we have time. I think we can win this referendum in the next year. I don't think. They are in a position to stop us, really. We're, we're butting up against 60%, and when Brexit starts to bite, which is going to start to bite really shortly, you're going to see. Well, I mean, I saw a, a marvellous tweet yesterday of a company that was trying to ship stuff to France, and you know, previously it cost them 40 quid, and they, they'd gone to an agent and asked, oh, how much should we to ship this par- parcel this week? And it was 137 quid. You know, That sort of stuff is going to start to really become very real to people very suddenly. That's another thing. Gordon McIntyre-Kemp said a couple of years ago, said to everybody, I know there's a few people that have done the ambassador training on here, he says at every one of these training sessions, that he did not think that Brexit was going to be real to people until it actually happened. And so the polls weren't going to swing. People expected the polls to swing in 2016 the day after that vote, and they just didn't. He contends that they're not going to swing until it becomes real, until it actually becomes real, until you can't go and see your granny in Spain because you can't afford the visa. When you... Can't get your laptop into Germany because it's going to cost you four hundred quid for the carney to get the thing across the border. When these things start to become real and they really start influencing people's lives, we will hit sixty percent. We will hit sixty-five percent. We will hit seventy okay. percent, and the press can't stop that.
0: Thanks, Chris. That's a really encouraging, positive thought. Um, and Charlotte,
1: well, press is obviously a big issue. I think that the whole issue of the press and the coverage of politics, in particular, has been disgraceful it's biased it's dictated by owners and it's dictated by the powers that be other people don't get a chance to speak except through social media one of the upsides of the covid lockdown is that people have discovered social media and social media like this to communicate with each other and to campaign and we're obviously going to need more of that but there is a danger of these sort of things becoming I think Chris mentioned it an echo chamber where it's a sort of select self-selecting audience that hears what everyone else with the same opinions what each we all want to hear we want to be able to get our voice out there we want to be able to challenge the lies and we want to be able to discuss with doubters and that that is a task for the movement that is absolutely a task for the movement and if you look at you know what's happened over the last few years with Donald Trump in America you can see how dangerous it is where somebody who has power, and and the ability to control and disseminate information, can absolutely abuse it without contest. I mean, I I think it's quite incredible that you can put so many lies out and nobody is challenging it, but more to the point, the media that puts it out doesn't ask anyone to challenge it. So for example, there was a Tory on on the radio this morning, Radio 4, saying we shouldn't have had the first and second and third lockdown. Well, nobody was up to challenge him about that. What, would you rather have people dying in the streets of the country then? Nobody challenged him. And that is one of the things about the grassroots movement. There there are certain people uh, like the First Minister and others who will always have access to the media at some level. We don't. We need our voice out there. And I would, you know, find interesting and novel ways to do it using social media, but also the old fashioned things like posters, like stickers, Facebook posts, just one off posters, anybody with any sort of graphic design talent, you can have a very big impact very quickly going up, putting a couple of posters in your local area, for example. So all the media tools at our disposal, we should use because we ain't going to get access to the big guns. But the more people we have doing it and locally, the more we'll get a message across. We can control our own media, if you like, and use ways of getting it across. But the media is a big issue. And I know people get very, very frustrated. You've been shouting and bawling at the telly all through lockdown, just like me. But actually, what we need a grassroots organisation to give people the confidence to do a bit of that themselves. Thank you very
0: much, Charlotte. And I think I think all of us share your concerns, and there's a lot of comments in the chat there about it. I'd just like to
9: thank Chris and Charlotte in particular for a very interesting, stimulating evening. We've had lots of great questions and answers, but lots of problems also have been raised. I think the biggest thing, being elderly myself... The biggest thing is getting to people like my sister, who hasn't a clue with social media, and depends on BBC papers and things like that. You know, we really have to. Charlotte says, look at different ways to get to people who are not on social media. I think the um, Yes movement is fantastic with social media. It's the non-social media stuff that we need to get on with. And I can a wee promotion for my group, my group, another group I'm in, uh, Yes Stones stones as a way of spreading the word without having to go into anybody's house. I go out almost every time I go out, I try and leave some scattered around. I think that's one of the things that we can do. But all other kind of imaginative things, that's really all I wanted to say. It's a great, a great attendance from all over Scotland. And big, big thanks to Val for being a fantastic host as usual. Thanks to everyone, and that's
0: it. You've been listening to the IndieLive.Radio Yes Group Spotlight, and that was a recording of a meeting hosted by Yes Glasgow Northwest on Wednesday, the 6th of January 2021, with the main speakers Charlotte Ahmed and Chris Hanlon. We hope you enjoyed it. And thanks to Yes Glasgow Northwest and to the two speakers for allowing us to share it with you.